My house is a very, very, very fine house. My house is a very, very, very fine house. With two cats in the yard. You put the flowers in the vase. My house is a very, very, very fine house. Bless you, Lord. Okay. Let's see if we can herd these cats back into the house. Come on. Bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Come on. Somebody give the Lord a praise with me. Help me out. Bless you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Father. Thank you. It's good to see some of you that I know have been having to do all kind of things and take care of all kind of things. A few people I'm missing. If you're watching online, God bless you and uh, appreciate hearing from you wherever you're from. It's always good to hear from you wherever you're at. And some of you are very far away and you're on other time zones and that really is special. And for those of you who attend regularly and you can't be here today and you're tuning in fine, and those of you who are watching on YouTube at another time, well, guess what? God is in the present now, so you're getting it fresh no matter when you're receiving it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord God Almighty. Father, we thank you, Lord, to continue to take us into that realm and that place. The mystery, Father, of our mansion, our rooms that are not only in heaven but here on earth. Thank you, Father, that we have entered into that place of next, and Lord, we're discovering, and we're asking, and we're learning, Father, and we're just receiving more and more of that which you have for us. So, Lord, guide us. Let it be available and productive for people right now, right now, Lord, that they can put it to use and be blessed by. Thank you, Father. Be glorified in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Well. We've been on a journey, and uh, it really started uh, way in the winter of the past year. And uh, just to bring us up to snuff, 100 days of prayer, a declaration on January 3rd that we were entering into a place of next. We didn't know what it was, but we knew that it wasn't just for this house and for us personally, but it was also for us personally. But the whole world was going to be given an opportunity and a shift to move, and we've seen that happen since then, and continues to shake and shift all throughout the world in many different places. People trying to sort out how to deal with present situations, uh, COVID virus, tensions, political issues, social issues, economic issues, all of them, and even natural disasters if there is such a thing. So we understand and know the time that we live in. We live in a time where the, the spirit of Isaiah cries out through the word of God in Isaiah 60, arise and shine. He said, for the light of the Lord has come. He said, gross darkness shall cover the earth, but the glory of the Lord shall rise upon you. And so we need to understand that the, the, the darkness that's covering the earth, there may be time lapses. 
It may be a pause and a start and a pause and a start, but there's going to be no utopian earth without Jesus returning. And so we know what the final chapter is. We don't know when and how. Uh, we know where, and we know that he'll be coming in the glory of the Father, and his feet will ascend on that mount, that mount that's outside of Jerusalem, and he will enter into Jerusalem. We know that he will catch us up somehow with him, um, and we also know that he will establish his kingdom here on earth, and that we are the precursors of that kingdom. We're the ones that he is working through right now to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now, many have jumped out to prepare the way without being prepared. And so the Lord is putting us through a preparation course. He's putting us through a pressure system. How many of you know that unless you get into the pressure cooker, something doesn't come out good? And how many of you know, whether it's tried like gold or however it's done, that the fire is purifying? So we want to take that little bit of a journey. We want to continue on in it. Um, I will try to tie in the Tuesday night prayer theme along with the ministry of the Sunday service. We had a tremendous time uh, in the anointing of God Tuesday night. The presence of the Lord was so strong, and He just moved us and affirmed to us that that eight-week journey that we were on um, is destined of Him. And what He's been showing us, if you haven't seen that, try and go back and look at some of the YouTubes on the Tuesday nights. Look at the board and how the Lord has moved and the things that He's shown us and where He's taken us. It is astounding. It can only be God. Um, there's never been a journey like that before that we've seen, that I've seen, but yet it's fresh, it's new, and grounded in the Word of God, and it's for us today. We know that in Romans 29, I'd like to just establish uh, Romans 8, 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of a son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to take great comfort in knowing that you were never uh, a coincidence. You were never a mistake. Some people think because they've been born and they've had rough times and maybe even rejected fried parents that somehow they were a mistake. No such thing. That's why every soul is precious unto God. That's why we cry out for the unborn. That's why we respect everyone who is born because everybody has been destined, predestined as the word says, from before the beginning of time. And if you've been predestined and then called and you answer that call, then you've been justified. Justified means that Jesus Christ, you've accepted Christ, and he has made you just before the Father. And because you're just, you're righteous, and you have become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Now, if you've made it to that place, that place of righteousness in Jesus Christ, which is simply accepting him, confessing your sins, and walking that path, saying, Lord, you're my Savior, you're my God, realizing we can't be perfect, but striving with a heart unto God. If you're in that place, you are sustained as the righteousness of God. If you're the righteousness of God, then everything that we're talking about 
And everything that we're pursuing, everything that we are discovering is about you and for you. So yes, a lot of people have arrived at a place of next, but it's not the same place of next this year. Some are lost in a place of confusion or bitterness or hatred. Some are lost in causes that seem to be the most important thing in their life for the moment. But how many of you know that today's cause becomes tomorrow's history? But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we are going to keep our eyes straight and focused on Jesus Christ is coming back. He's our cause. He's who we are called to preach. He is whose banner we are to lift up. It's Jesus Christ. Christ. And if we do, then everything else conforms to him. We try to conform things, not realizing and transform people that there's only one who can do that. That's Jesus Christ. You and I can't change anybody. We don't have the power, the authority, nor their respect to change anybody. It could be mere words. The change comes from what? The inside out. And so we want to pursue that. And I want you to begin to get excited about the place you are in. Whom God calls, he qualifies. So I'd like you to look at somebody, anybody right now, and say, I'm qualified by God. Say that. I'm qualified by God. Shout it out to the heavens and say, I am qualified by God. Nobody can disqualify me. I do not need your affirmation. I have been affirmed, confirmed, and transformed by Jesus Christ. I am qualified by God. Amen. And here's the good news. Whom God qualifies and calls, He equips. So you are fully equipped. You just have to get a hold of some of the stuff that he has for you. So I want you to shout to the same person you told him you were qualified and say, I'm equipped. I've got it all. I've got it all. I've got it all. God has given me everything, everything, everything. Come on now, say it like you mean it. I've got it all. Now, we're going to go to the places and begin to take back what's ours. You remember that old song I loved? It was one of the first ones I heard when I walked into Pleasant Valley Church. Take back what the enemy stole from you. Charlie Treblecock didn't quite have the voice for it, but it was all right. He was trying to do it. Take back what the enemy had for you. We're going to take back what has been put in the side, what has been put in the closet, that which even the body of Christ has laid aside. How many of you know that religion has a way of making the good things of God stale wine? Amen. It becomes stale. And you see people today not realizing the time they're in still doing the stale things of 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Azusa Street was great, but guess what? Jesus is coming back. That's greater. That's greater. That's greater. I don't want to relive Azusa Street. I want to live in the present now to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord with the outpouring of the greatest spirit that's ever been poured out upon mankind, the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And even though there will be great darkness and doom, there will be great glory, signs, wonders, and miracles by you, by you, by you, by you. Because as bad as it gets, that's how great God is going to get better. And he tells you that no matter what happens, he's got you covered. Nothing will touch you. Nothing will be able to harm you. You shall walk because you're qualified, you're equipped, and you've answered the call. I want you to see that your house, 
Your house, yes, this is your house. Everybody who comes, I tell you, this is your house. But you have another house. This house is in your house. You're in this house. Your house is the temple that God has built and restoring inside of you. Your house is a place for you and the Lord alone. Yes, you can take me into your house and I'll willfully come. You can love me. You can minister to me in your home. You can call upon the different rooms and the things that you have, the decorations, the furniture, the pieces. You can use it all and bless me and bless others with it. But that is your house. Your house is a very large place. You can't understand and comprehend how big God is inside of you. God is big. God is infinite. There's nothing greater than God. He's spirit, and spirit alone can somehow compress and be inside with you and of you. And yes, this is a fleshly temple that is constrained, but when you go outside that temple, this flesh, and you say, Lord, I'm one with you, guess what? You're as big as God is, and he has made you just under him. We have learned the wrong translation when we go through Genesis and others that says the angels were made just under God. No, that word actually has to do with us, those who have been created of God. You have been made just like him, not only in his image, but in his likeness. And because you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you are the fullness of God's likeness. And that means everything that he has is yours. And so you are equipped with abundance in a very large home that doesn't diminish. It's infinite. It's overflowing. Your house has everything that you need. It's a place of supply, of provision, of, de of, of direction. And it has all of the resources that reflect the attributes of God. Now, we could stay here until... Time ends over talking about the good things of God, right? The faith of God, the joy of God, the wisdom of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the knowledge of God, the healing of God, the deliverance of God, on and on and on and on. All the attributes of God are somehow, some way equipped for you, for you. So why don't we embellish them all? It's because we don't take the time to go in and receive them. We don't take the key and enter the doors into the rooms that God has for us. It's a place of refuge and equipping, and it's a residence of the ministry of God. It's a safe harbor for the body of Christ. In John chapter 14, verses 2 through 4, many of us love this. I've used this in many eulogies that I've done. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, that word mansions is better translated rooms. Rooms. So, in my Father's house are many rooms. Makes more sense, does it? House has rooms. Mansions have rooms. So, those rooms are so big, and there's so many of them that they're in your Father's house. Jesus' words, if that were not so, would I have told you? I go to prepare a place for you. Well, he's gone, hasn't he? And he's preparing that place for us, or it's already prepared. Some of our loved ones are probably already in their rooms. You may have a room right next to them. I don't know. Jimmy Mariotti always says he prays God that he doesn't have a room next to me. And, and I tell him I've already taken advantage, taken care of that. His room is right behind mine, and it's smaller than mine. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
Listen to this. Get prophetic with me. Get some revelation in your spirit. I will come again. If I go to prepare a place for you, and he has, correct? I will come again. Jesus is coming, right? Say, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. How about a prayer? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I will come again and do what? Receive you to myself. That's here. That's here on earth. He's going to receive us in the heavenly places, yes, but he's coming here to receive us for ourselves. Now, Jesus, when he was speaking this to his disciples, he wasn't stuck in time. He wasn't stuck in time. Time's in God. God's not in time. So when Jesus is talking, he's talking what? To the endless as the endless word. The word that was for then and was for every time and is for now. He's speaking to us. I will come back and take you, receive you to be with me so that there you may be also and where I go you know and the way you know. Now, that means, could it possibly mean that he's also talking about the rooms that we have here on earth already? Or is it just that when you go to the high by and by and get into the neverlands of eternity, that that's when you're going to receive access to the, all the things that God has for you? You don't need them then. What do you need then? You've been perfected. We're in the process of perfecting, Paul says. The Greek word is shalom, not the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, it's a progressive perfecting. It's something, a work that God is constantly doing in you and I from the moment that we were born until now, and that work never ends. And you never get fully perfected here on earth in this body, but you will be. When you see him, you'll be just like him, and you will know him because he'll be just like you, and he will know you. But we have that opportunity here on earth. You say, Pastor, give me a scripture to hang on to. Here it is. Say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Come on. Thy kingdom come. Stop. Thy kingdom come. Say it again. Thy kingdom come. Where? On earth. As it is. Ho! Bingo. You have rooms in heaven. Father, bring him here to me. Let it be here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus was giving us a key. He was allowing us to see and to get beyond just the fact that we want to be saved. And it's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a terrible thing not to be saved. We thank God for redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But it's better to have life abundant and abundantly more here on earth like he promised us. So we pray, Father, show me all of these things that you have for me, waiting for me. And Lord, may I be able to become a minister and a steward of those gifts here in the now. Amen. I think the Lord says, yes. Why haven't I had them before? Because you haven't asked. Why haven't I used them? Because you don't. And why don't I know about them? Because my teachers aren't teaching. They're stuck in a rut. Ah, and we're stuck in the last old faith. It doesn't mean we're doing something new. It means we're receiving something new. Ground in the Word of God. Always in the Word of God. So as it is in heaven, and then of course, give us this day, our daily bread. So, let us look at this. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 1. 
Just in case you say, Pastor, can you give me another scripture? Can you give me something else to stand upon? I can not only give you this scripture, I could give you at least 12 or 13 more, but we don't have the time. 1 Peter 2, 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, crave pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Stop right there. Peter was talking to people that were saved. He wasn't talking to to babies. And he's saying, get pure spiritual milk. Well, we've always been taught, I know you have like me, well, we move from milk to meat. But it doesn't mean you quit drinking the milk because there's always growth. My wife laughs because I still drink milk. Three, four glasses a day at least. If I don't get my milk, I'm not a happy guy. And then after everybody says, whole milk's not good for you, I say, shame on them. This body takes no medicines. This body has no illnesses. This body is healthy. Now, I'm not attributing it to milk, but milk didn't do something bad to it. Pure milk. Maybe that's why I can't have that watered-down stuff. I want pure milk. And I like goat milk. I like stuff that comes pure. Oh, my Lord, there's Gene. Hey, Gene, my brother. How you doing? Everybody say hi to Gene. <laughs> he t- I missed him. Wow, look at the tan on that guy. He's been on the golf course. Bless the Lord. Thank you. Or else his wife's had him working in the yard. One of the two. Pure milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That word salvation doesn't mean just to get saved. If you're drinking milk, you already got saved. It's the better translation is redemption. And Jesus redeems everything. And how many of you say, well, I know I'm saved, but there's some things yet that I could have Jesus get fixed. Huh? I'm the only one. Yeah, okay. I got some things that he desperately needs to fix. And I keep sending them to him, and then I take them back. And then I send them to him, and then I take them back. And one of these days, they're just going to stick and stay with him. And so we drink the pure milk. We keep drinking the pure milk of the word of God, that by it you may grow up into the full redemption, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Wow, we sang all morning long how good the Lord is. We are tasting the good Lord. As you come to him, you're a living stone rejected by men. Listen to this. But in the sight of God, you are chosen and precious You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a? What? What does a spiritual house have in it? Rooms. Rooms. We never go from the outside to the inside. Our perception of ourselves is a house. Or that we're one stone in a bigger house that we're somewhat disembodied from. It's nice being a member of the body of Christ, but let's face it, it's better as a member of the body of Christ to be a member of the fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And so he's building us up as a house, and we've got a lot of rooms that we need to discover. And guess who's in those rooms? Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is going to get better. Hold on. Walk with me a little bit. To be a holy priesthood. To be a holy priesthood, we need to be able to minister in the rooms, from the rooms, and to go in and out of the rooms. That's a priesthood. You see, we like the kingship part. The kingship part has dominance in geography. 
We're kings. Kings need a kingdom. Well, it's his kingdom. We're part of that. That's the body of Christ. But to be priests, if you want to minister healing, you've got to go to the healing room. If you want to minister deliverance, you go to the deliverance room. If you want to be one that can exhort into faith, you need to go to the faith room. If you want miracles, you go to the miracle room. Come on. You want grace, you go to the grace room. You want wisdom, you go to the place where you get wisdom. You want joy, you go to the joy room. You want to praise and worship God, you go into the high worship room. And you just don't go in and get, him, get your mindset like this contemporary mindset that we have that everything is a vending machine and automated and I'm going to just nuke it when I need it. You don't nuke the things of God in his room. You spend time in the room with God. Time in the room with God. And I've realized as, as the Lord has been showing us this, that the times in my life when I spent time with God in certain areas of rooms, God embellished and gave me those gifts. And some of them have, have grown a little bit weaker, a little bit more dimmer because I haven't been spending time in those rooms. You know, one of the rooms that I'm spending more time in now, and this is going to make Becky smile even more, the love room. The love room. See her smile? Look at that smile. You look very pretty today. You're a very blessed young man. You keep telling him he's got to pay attention. And Dom, Dom has the Swedish girl right next to him up front, yes. So, the love room. The love room. What's the great commandment? Love one another. So every other room must be attached to that great room called the love room. We need to spend more time just loving God and letting God love us. This morning as I got here early, you know, I have my own little regiment of things I think I'm going to do. And I, you know, I, I open up the parking lot and I turn the air on because it was pretty hot. It was like 77, 78 in here. Turn the air on and, uh, and I was walking out and I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, did you forget something? And I came up here and I kneeled at this altar and I began to feel the precious love of Jesus Christ floating through my spirit and my heart. And then I heard something and I thought somebody came in because Sonny usually gets here before or right after me. And I turned around and nobody was there. But there was somebody there. And I felt the presence of the living God. And I felt the Lord say to me, I love you, son. I said, I love you, Father. The love room. We need to spend time just loving God. And allow him to tell us how much he loves us. Quiet time. Quiet time. I know when I pursued my wife, I was relentless. The poor thing couldn't get away from me. How many of you are school teachers? How would you like to have a man that's pursuing you show up in your class? Walk through the school. Roosevelt Elementary Hubbard. I went there. I served many days in detention in that school. I know it like the back of my hand. I, would, I found her class. I pursued her. I pursued her at her house. I'd show up at any time. I pursued her at the workplace. She was getting paid to play music, so I went with her to these godless churches I'd, just to sit with her. These places where I didn't want to be. They were more religious than I'd ever been. And I was pretty religious. And I remember 
One day she was trying to make a decision. Was it me or the man that her mother wanted her to marry? And I already told her she was going to marry me and not him, but she wasn't getting it yet. And Ron, what do they call it when you put graffiti on something? Bombing? Huh? Tagging. I tagged her. I got some orange marking paint at the Hubbard warehouse, at the, at the hardware store. I ran down and I got it. When she came out to get in her car, what did it say, honey? No more Stephen. With an X through it. I tagged her. I bombed her. I graffitied it. I pursued her. Then she tried to run away to Washington, D.C., and I found her. I chased her. And we got married in a church at an altar call. He said, there's two people here who should be married. I looked at her. She goes, okay. I pursued her. I would sit with my mind and think of creative ways to woo her, and I was flat, broke, busted. Stephen had money. I had nothing. Squat. I would save up everything I had to take her to eat, and she didn't know that it was my last penny, and I couldn't pay my electric and water bills. I pursued her. I pursued her. That's the passion we need to pursue the love of God with. That passion. Don't let go. And take time. Take time in the love room of God. Walk into that room. Sit down with him. Sit down with him. Lay at the feet of Jesus. Adorn him with the perfume of your love and your presence. You know, for those of us who have children and grandchildren, and, you know, Christmas comes and goes, and birthdays come and go, and anniversaries come and go, quite a few of them now in our lives, and I feel sorry for them because they're trying to figure out, what can I get, Dad? What can I get, Grandpa? First of all, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. I got too much stuff, right? But the one thing that always I cherish is their presence. A phone call. A phone call. I'll never forget on my birthday that my daughter, Mikkel, who had, was lost out there in California, and we hadn't heard from her in a while, she called me on my birthday. That was the best gift I could have had that day. The presence. The Lord wants our presence with him and he likes it when it's just his time nobody else's time turn the phone off don't be texting turn the television off put yourself somewhere they used to call it being in the prayer closet well the prayer closet's good but the love room is better the love room is the best and so our house <laughs> if you saw the e-blast I couldn't help myself. Dwayne said it made him laugh for 20 minutes. I said, our house is a very, very fine house. With two cats in the yard, flowers in the vase. Our house is a very, very fine house. We need to spend time in it. 
And the Lord wants us to spend time in it with him. We're so busy about the business of our lives and the business of the ministry and the business of everything that we're doing that we sometimes and most oftentimes, if we're fair and honest, we don't make that time for love of God. So, this we know. Verse 9, again, of 1 Peter 2, 1. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Two more points I want to make before I rest today. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key. Say it, he who has the key. What does the key do? Opens them and locks them, right? I'd like it better if it says he who has the master key of David. He who opens and no one shuts. And shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have little strength, but you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. Is that you? You say, but I have a lot of strength. All the time, do you? I don't know about you, but when I am weak, he is strong. Amen. Amen. And so he says, he knows, knows me. Frank, I know you. I know you're a little weak, but I know you don't deny my name. And because of that, and you've kept my word, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. And that's, that's not just Jews who don't believe in Jesus. That's anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus, right? For there's no longer Jews nor Greeks. It's all the same. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Why will you be a magnet to draw people to you when you're in that place with Jesus? It's because of Jesus in you. It's because you have been called, equipped, and anointed to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show the gospel, to be a testimony, and to lure anybody everywhere and anytime. You are a magnet for God. And he says, I will cause them to come and worship at your feet. He doesn't mean they're going to worship you. They're going to worship the God that you're worshiping. They're going to take a knee and kneel when you kneel. I know for a fact that last Sunday we had someone who calls himself an atheist here. But yet that man came up and had his hands out when we prayed for the sheriff's deputy. He came and he worshiped in this house because of the magnet of Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I have a key, I'm going to open it, and that door is wide open. And because of your obedience, because you know my name, and because you obey me, I'm going to put you in a special place. You're going to be able to bring people to the Lord. And then this. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. 
Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. You, you are called to be a pillar in the house of God, not in heaven alone here on earth right now. What does a pillar do? It supports the weight. It supports the structure. It takes the load bearing. It's that thing that is strategically, structurally necessary in order for the house to be strong and to stand in the strong winds, to stand in the earthquake, to stand in the pestilence, to stand in the gloom and doom, whatever it is, you will not only be able to stand in it, you will be a pillar that will hold it up. (laughs) You will be a pillar that holds it up. Come on. That's the bones of the overcomer. The bones of the overcomer are strong. There's no calcium deficiency. You are strong. You are spiritually equipped to be stronger than anyone could imagine. And so, let's go to this for a moment. A key. Who's the key? Jesus Christ. What does it do? It opens the doors to your rooms. But you've got to use the key. Jesus, I want to enter in now. I can't get into any more of that other than to tell you this. There are three master suites that we start off, and we went through this Tuesday night. Three master suites. The master suite of God the Father. Go in there and spend time with the Father. And in that place, He will equip you. How many of you know that every perfect and good gift comes from heaven above, from the Father? You want to receive the gifts? Go into the Father. The master suite of Jesus the Son. You go into Jesus, ask what you shall in my name, and I shall give it unto you. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy burdened. Lay yourself at my feet. My yoke is easy. And then the Holy Spirit, the master suite of the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were able to organize our days to spend some time in each one of those three master suites? You know what I think happens when you do that? I think the Father says, let me show you the closet. And you open that closet up and it's bigger than your whole house. And there's things hanging in the closet. And he says, daughter, put that one on. You say, Lord, what is this? He says, I'm giving you another mantle. I'm giving you another robe. I'm cloaking you with something else. Son, what is that? Oh, your suit's a little wrinkled. Leave it here with me. I'll get the wrinkles out. Wear this one in the meantime. It looks better on you. It's the right color. How would you like the Lord to take you through the rooms of the house? How would you like to go on that journey with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost? Jesus with the key. It's an open door, but you've got to walk through. And then, you know what's nice about it? The thief can't come in and steal because he has a key to lock the door. And when he shuts it, no one can open it. He opens it, you come in, he locks it. Your house is safe under the security alarm season of Jesus Christ. Okay, last story, and we're going to get ready. This one is powerful. How many of you know or have heard of John G. Lake. 
John G. Lake, powerful man of God, right? John G. Lake was born around 1880, I think. He died in around 1936 or 5. The reason I, I know the day he died is because it was on my birthday, September 16th. John G. Lake died. He died of a stroke. John G. Lake had tremendous power. And one of the things he did was he started a tremendous ministry that still prevails today, an apostolic Pentecostal ministry throughout Africa, South Africa. Tens of thousands of churches, millions of people saved and healed and brought to the Lord. Well, they had two ways of bubonic plague. And the third wave began in the late 1800s, and John G. Lake was getting, finding his way with Christ. And it had already killed 100,000 people in China in just two months. India eventually lost 12 million people to that plague. And when it was first confirmed in Hawaii, what they did was they burned everything down where they thought they were in the Chinese settlements, which put 4,000 Chinese people homeless. You see, these were natural responses to something that they couldn't understand. And when the plague struck Africa, John G. Lake decided to test a different path because he had a different perception of his God in the room of provision and supply. And so what he did was he said this. He wrote it and he preached it. He said, watch the action of the law of life, the law of life, the law of life. Faith belongs to the law of life. I'm quoting him. Faith is the very opposite of fear. Faith has the opposite effect in spirit and soul and body. Faith causes the spirit of man to become confident. It causes the mind of man to become restful and at peace and positive. A positive mind in Christ repels disease. Consequently, the emanation of the spirit destroys disease germs. Wow. Huh? Could this be possible? Listen to this. Moving in this confidence in the, dis dis the divine display of God in Christ, Lake took his people and decided to care for these sick people in Africa who had the bubonic plague. Now remember, this was in the late 1800s. They didn't understand how to deal with this stuff. They didn't know what to do. They didn't have all the masks and germicides and antibiotics or scientists. Dr. Fauci wasn't there, thank God. They didn't have a bunch of them. <laughs> well, thank God he wasn't in the bubonic plague, right? <laughs> Praise God. Thank God you weren't there either. There was so much death that they were piling bodies up, three and four bodies in a grave at a time because they had limited space and the teams couldn't keep up with them. But his team was in constant contact with the sick people. The government sent supplies and doctors and different governments sent them, but they couldn't figure out how John G. Lake and his assistant, who spent day and night in the midst of the camps of the families of bubonic plague, they couldn't understand how they avoided contracting this disease when other people would come 
and would receive it right away. Most of them died. Lake told the doctor that came to him, he said, brother, that is the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. I believe that just as long as I keep my soul in contact with the living God so that his spirit is flowing into my soul and body, no germ will even attach itself to me for the spirit of God would kill it. Now, you can imagine what Dr. Fauci of that time thought of that. Hmm? He said, I don't believe you. He said, this is preposterous. You don't understand what you're dealing with. So he said this, doctor, I think that you would like to experiment with me. If you will go over to one of these dead people and take the foam that comes out of their lungs after death, then put it under the microscope, you will see masses of living germs. You will find out that they are alive until a reasonable time after a man is dead. And then come and fill my hand with them and I will keep it under the microscope. And instead of these germs remaining live, they will die instantly. So what do you think happened? The physician took the fluid, studied it under the microscope, out of the dead person, alive, deadly, put him fresh in the hands of John G. Lake, put him under the microscope, and they instantly were dead. Later on, John G. put his ministry in Spokane, Washington, and began to open the famous healing rooms. I have the Holy Spirit all over me. He called it the healing room. The room you enter into, his room that he had prepared and decorated with his faith, with God, tested, tried, trued, powerful. Not only to the pulling down of strong homes, but the destruction of diseases. Records say that the average was 200 people per day came to his healing rooms and were healed. Came to him, worshiped at his feet, and opened the door. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in every word of that Bible. And I don't care what some religious person says. I don't care what a theologian says. I don't care what some scientist says. I believe that there is nothing that my God will not heal in the healing room. I believe, I believe COVID has no place in this house. I believe it has no place in your house. I believe that if you stay close with God, you are a germ killer. I believe nothing can rest upon you because if it rests upon you, it must attach to him and it cannot. I believe, and I know you do too. So we're gonna continue if the Lord allows us to take some journeys through the rooms, we're going to discover. I'm going to encourage you to take some times. Spend them in the different rooms of God. Prepare them. You know why it's good to prepare them? Because when you have a need, that's not the time to try and figure it out. That's the time to be equipped to go get exactly what 
you need and react to quickly. Suddenlies are coming, but they shouldn't catch you by surprise. Things will happen, but you will overcome. We are preparing to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus.